Welcome to the New England Football Show. I'm your host, John Serenitas, and as always, I'm joined by my partners, Kevin Stone and Adam Kirchin. And tonight we are joined by Andy Backstrom from Rivals. Andy, how are you this evening? Well, we're waiting, we're waiting for Andy. Andy's in deep thought. <laughs> you know what? When Andy figures out what he's thinking about, he'll yeah. join us. Gentlemen, how are you this evening? Good. There he is. He's back. Modern technology. Andy Backstrom's back. How's it going, Andy? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Here we go again. <laughs> All right, well, uh, Kevin and Adam are with me, and uh, when Andy figures out his technical issues, and we've had some technical issues tonight, and we do want to apologize. Um, we were supposed to have Andy on and John Mita Pro. Unfortunately, we've had some technical issues, as you can see, uh, with both Andy and John, but um, we're going to try to get at least uh, John back on. Andy, can you hear us? Nope. <laughs> still, still handsome as ever, but he can't hear us. Um, well, gentlemen, first things first, uh, that the whole premise of tonight's show was supposed to be a Boston College preview show. And if we can get Andy back, um, you know, we'll talk some some Eagles with him. But um, let's start off with Friday, of course, Boston College open camp. And it's interesting because this is an important camp, in my opinion, for this program. And I know a lot of people are going to look at this and they're going to say, well, no kidding. But the reality is, this is a big camp for them. I think last season, we've talked about this throughout the offseason. We talked about it during spring ball. But last season was a disappointment. I think we can all universally agree on that, right? This is a program that should have been much better last season. And they weren't as good as we thought they were going to be. So this is a big camp for them. And Andy Backstrom joins us now. Andy, are you here? I'm here. I'm here. Right. Hopefully to say. Well, thank you for taking the time. We're working through some technical difficulties here. But as I was just saying, Andy, this is a, a big camp for this program. This is a big season. I think it's safe to say that last season was a disappointment. I think we all thought that when we saw their schedule, that this was a team that could potentially win eight, nine games and compete for an ACC title, possibly. That didn't happen. They ended up going six and six. Is it an overstatement to say that this is an important camp and season for Jeff Halfley and this football team, Andy? Not an overstatement at all. It's pretty accurate. I, I think everyone would agree they underachieved last year. The players, the coaches, they'll tell them. They'll say the same thing. Um, six wins has not been good enough for this program for years. It wasn't good enough in the Adazio era. It's not good enough in the Halfley era. That's not too controversial. What's tough about this season is that the schedule isn't as kind as last year's was. Right from the beginning, you're getting tested. Rutgers week one, that's not a gimme like a Colgate is. You know, Then they're going to have to go down to Blacksburg and play in Lade Stadium. That's not an easy place to play. And then in week four, they're playing Florida State. So four weeks in, we're going to know a lot more about this BC team than we did last year four weeks in. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's one of those things where – it, it, the schedule to me is a big part of it. I think you you hit the nail on the head there. Last year was a much more manageable, manageable schedule. And that's why I think, by and large, we all thought, all right, this this could be the breakthrough season that we were all thinking about. But, Kevin, you've been up there. You've been covering the program in recent years. You asked Coach Halfley, I thought, a pretty pointed question about the edge that he's 
displayed this summer. He showed it at ACC Media Days, and and you could see it. We saw it on Friday and in, in, in this past weekend where there's a sense of urgency there. Why? What prompted you to ask that question? I mean, you've been around Halfley since he's been here. Is it that noticeable? Yeah, I mean, I brought up that ACC Media Day, and Andy, I'm sure you were watching that day too. Every time he kind of started talking in depth about the team, his voice started raising and you could just kind of feel it even through the TV when, you know, we were here and they were down in North Carolina. So when I asked him on what day was that Friday, Saturday, um, it was just more so. And, and he acknowledges too, he's starting to feel more comfortable, you know, just being a head coach and you can feel it in the way he talks really about everything. Um, I didn't expect him to kind of get as animated as he did. And look, he openly said, I'm pissed off about the way things have gone. And you might not hear that from a coach all the time. So I think it's been very noticeable, really right from the jump, um, even in minicamp, you know, in April or March, whenever it was, there was something different. And just by the tone and the tenor that everyone is speaking with and just the energy that's in the building, there is something different there. Adam, you've covered this program for a while, and, and we know that when certainly when we were younger, Boston College football was a big deal around here. And a lot of that, I think, had to do with the fact that the Patriots weren't what they are now. But how important is it to get this program back to a place like that? I'm not saying you, you have to compete with the Patriots for the, for the back page, per se, during the football season. But how important is it for them to be more competitive than they have been? Because I think Andy made a great point. Six and six, seven and five is not going to cut it anymore. Yeah, and it's – I mean, as everybody's already sick of this stat, they haven't won eight games since 2009. And everybody knows that and it gets old. But I think to the to what you're saying, I feel like the market has kind of tuned them out because they sort of don't expect them to beat a Clemson uh, to, 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 be, to beat some of these premier teams in the ACC, even though they've been competitive with Clemson, it would take a 10-type win season to re, sort of grab that casual fan back into BC football. And it's possible because they play in a good league. You know, I mean, like, like I said, Clemson has been one of the best programs in the country these last maybe 10 years or so. And a win there would get some people back in, but there just hasn't been that signature win. I, I mean, we were, I was watching the uh, the replay today of the BC-Mizzou game from last year, and that was an exciting win, but it was Missouri. You know, was, you can't really get that excited over it. They have to win their way into the consciousness of this market, and until they do that, they're just going to sort of be ignored. But is it one of those things where is is it going to get to the point with Halfley where people are going to start to say, okay, great guy, good coach, good recruiter. I mean, they've added four, more four-star talent than they've ever had. They're in the conversation for the occasional five-star kid even. But is eventually, is it going to become a product of, you know what, he's got to win. Okay, it's great that all these other things are in place, but he's got to win. They've got to start producing on the field. Do you sense, Andy, that that's where this is going, that – this fan base and, and this alumni base is, is clamoring for a winner and eventually great recruiter, good guy, um, you know, being honest, all that stuff that we like about him, it, it, it's not going to matter anymore. 
Yeah, the honeymoon phase is over, and I think he knows that. Everyone knows that. He has delivered in terms of recruiting top two, or the last two recruiting classes have been in the top 40, and those guys are now playing. That's the difference with this year and the last couple of years. A lot of his guys are leaving a mark on this team now, whereas before he was still dealing with a lot of Adazio's players. And there are still some of those guys there. You know, Marcus Valdez, Mina Palma, the list goes on. There, there are contributors from Adazio's time, but Halfley's mark is starting to be seen on these players on this roster. Um, he needs to win this year, especially with Dracovic and Flowers there. It's it's always, you know, if you're building a team, they had this uh, app on sports piece came out with anonymous coaches from the ACC talking about BC. And a lot of them were complimentary of the way that Halfley's built it through high school recruiting, and then, you know, building through the defense and every once in a while you land on a quarterback like Dracovic. Well, they have the quarterback that is Dracovic right now, and you need to win with him when you have that opportunity. And just to piggyback off of um, both points, actually, from Adam and Andy, I think it started to end last year when, you know, you had a lot of hype around Andy. I went to the NC State game. It was a, a, the primetime game. You know, the, the mods were full. People were jacked up. The game was, it might have been Louisville. I might be mixing them up, but the crowd was out of it in the first quarter. You know, it was a primetime game. People were ready to go, ready to really be on board with this team, and they were flat by the, the second quarter. Like, the team needs to deliver not only on the field, but if you're telling kids to get in early and, and get behind this team, they need a reason to do so. You know, they haven't had it yet. Yeah, I want to get back to Jakovic here because obviously their their season went sideways last year when he got hurt. He hurts his wrist against UMass, and and that that set them back collectively, I think. And that's not a knock on Dennis Grossell. I think he did a nice job stepping in, but I think ultimately that that injury was just too much for them to overcome. And and Jakovic is a dynamic player. We know that he's a guy that can make plays in and out of the pocket. He's big. He's strong. He can deliver the ball on all three levels effectively. But I think it's safe to say that if they're going to compete and be better than six and six, seven and five, he has got to stay healthy. And part of him staying healthy, and he talked about this the other day, is taking better care of himself, protecting himself when he runs with the football. Adam, how important is Jakovic's health to this program? We, we saw last year that without him, they're not the same team. But if they're going to remotely compete this year, they have to get a full season out of him, right? It can't be this he's banged up because he plays a certain style and he's not as effective. They need him to be 100% healthy from start to finish. Without question. I mean, without question. I mean, I, I, I've i heard good things about Evan, Evan Moorhead and everything like that. But you really, it's not just his performance, but you take the starting quarterback – off this team and really it's you know it's 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 the it's the morale of the team that gets affected they i don't think they believe they can win without Djokovic. so it's it's really a whole team-wide thing he, in a way he's carrying it on his back because he just gives them a chance to compete against the better teams on their schedule and so he's got to protect himself he's got to treat his body right he's got to stay on the field um i and that's the thing. I think with uh, Grossell, I thought he was a pretty good backup, and he performed pretty admirably for the spot that he was put in. But to get to that next level, exactly, it's it's 
it, it, from getting from six wins to eight wins to nine wins, you need you need Jakovic on the field. Yeah, and I think the other thing that's important here, of course, is the offensive line. And obviously, Andy, it's been a focal point throughout the offseason. And then they get the terrible news in June that Christian Mahogany tears his ACL, working out, he's out for the season. What are your thoughts on this group now? Obviously, that puts pressure on the upper class from a guy like Jack Conley. But what are your thoughts on this group now? I mean, because they're going to be the X factor here. We can sit here and talk about Jakovic staying healthy and performing all we want. But a lot of that is also tethered to this offensive line. Is it an overstatement to say they go as this group goes? I think it's a bit of an overstatement. They're obviously very important. Um, I think the returning starter stat is my least favorite stat in all of college sports, just because just because they're returning doesn't mean they are the best players. Um, not it's not a knock on any of those guys from last year individually. I think they were all very skilled. Collectively, there were clearly problems. Um, but I will also say that it wasn't just the offensive line, even though they got a ton of blame last year. The offense itself didn't work. I mean, it worked well for what it was worth in the first year, Frank Signetti. But the second year, it just really didn't work. It was two boomer busts. I think Dracovic had 91 attempts last year when he was healthy. Of, his, of those, 33 were 20 or more yards downfield. It was just this boomer bust. Let's go for the, the you know, the nine route for Zay Flowers or nothing. Um, then they, they pivoted to like a, a quick short game with Dennis Grossell, but that didn't work either. It just seemed like there was no kind of plan. I mean, that sounds ridiculous. You go in with a plan for the season, but at the end of the day, the offensive scheme wasn't working. So what is John McNulty going to draw up? He's a new offensive coordinator coming over from Notre Dame where he was the tight ends coach. I think that's what this season's dependent on. Like Halfley's saying he wants to have more of a, a hand in the offense. I mean, what is this offense going to look like? You know, you can play with the offensive line. You can have six-man protections. You can have seven-man protections. You know, you can do things. You can get the ball out quicker from Dracovic's hands. You can work around maybe a little bit less of an experienced offensive line, but you can't work around a scheme that doesn't work. So I think that's, for me, the biggest thing. What does this offense look like more than is the offensive line going to be good? Because I knew there's a lot of talent there. They recruited well at that position for a reason. They're just young. Yeah, plus we haven't even mentioned um, Dave DeGuglielmo. You know, he's going to be a huge factor in – and, John, I know you know Coach Gooch pretty well. And, um, look, he got hired for a reason. You know, he's been on a Super Bowl-winning team. He's going to be able to coach those guys up. At least you would have to assume so. Um, so as as much as they're going to be relying on the kids on the field, it's going to be up to Coach Gooch to really kind of instill confidence in that line. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and look – I mean, make no mistake about it. You're seeing it with the Patriots now, right? Everybody is panicking about the, the performance of the offense through 10 days in camp. But a lot of that performance is tied to the offensive line. They have struggled. And they're struggling, in my opinion, partly because they haven't been able to run the football. And I think that's going to be the key. And this goes back to the point Andy made about Frank Signetti's offense being boom or bust. When Adazio was here, the, the, the perception was, all right, he's way too conservative. All they do is run the football. A.J. Dillon's going to get 30 touches a game, blah, blah, blah. Then Signetti comes in, and they're more of a vertical passing game, push the ball down the field, token play action fakes, uh, you know, try to make the big explosive play. But they weren't setting up the big explosive play by running the football. That's the thing. You could sit there and do all these fakes and these boots and these nakeds 
and do all these things. But if you're not running the football to hold those linebackers, to hold those safeties, especially in today's world of defense where everybody and their mother plays too high, if you're not doing anything to control the box and control those five guys, the linebackers and the safeties, it's hard to score points because especially play action passing because it's not as effective. So I, I think for me, they need to go back and run the football. And it's not just Garwo. They've got a nice collection of backs there. Get them touches. It'll help this young offensive line get going. It'll get them engaged. And it'll help their passing game. And I think that based on some of the comments that Halfley made on Friday, he it sounds like he's going to take a more active role in this offense. McNulty was brought in to run a pro-style offense. I would imagine they'll be under center more than they were under Signetti. I, I think you're going to see them really make a concentrated effort to run the football. Adam, how important is it for them to get back to that? Because you are playing in the Northeast, and it does start to become a factor as the season goes on. How important is it for them to get back to playing BC football? And that means pound the ball. Exactly. I, I feel like you're reading my mind. I, I feel like BC football, whenever BC is good, they have a healthy running game, like a healthy off and the, and the offensive line builds off that. Like you said, like the, the offensive line wants to get downhill, and that's how they get into the game. It's, uh, it's, it's just like warming up a pitcher, you know, it's just getting better and better and better. And I love Garo as a back. I think he's a good back. I think he's a good guy to build around. Obviously, they give it to more than one guy. But I think he's a good place to start. And this offensive line needs it because if you have an inexperienced offensive line – and they have to pass block all the time, then they're going to get run over. So, I mean, I feel like I, you're exactly right because they were doing all this play action before, but they didn't ever really establish the run first. And I think that's the, that's got to be their identity. It has been for as long as I've known BC football. They've had a good running game. So, yeah, I think that's, I think that's the right direction to go in. And so I, I think, you know, get under center, run the ball, play action, and then open things up when you can. I think that's the recipe for success. You are watching slash listening to the New England Football Show presented by Mortgage Right. I'm your host, John Serenitas, joined as always by Kevin Stone and Adam Kirkshin. And tonight we are joined by special guest Andy Backstrom, who covers Eagles for Rivals. Just a quick reminder to our viewers and listeners, if you are looking into selling your current home or you are a first-time home buyer and want to get pre-approved for a mortgage, Give Herb Devine a call at Mortgage Right, 781-254-2846. You can also go to situate.mortgageright.com. He and his team will answer any questions you have. They are available anytime, including nights and weekends. Andy, obviously, Zay Flowers coming back is a big deal. And, of course, he also decided to come back and not enter the portal where he could have potentially entered the portal and landed somewhere where he could have made – some NIL, more NIL money than, than he's going to make here. Uh, one of the things he said in Friday's press conference was that his dad wanted him to finish his degree. And I, and I think this is one of the things that is a big selling point for Boston College, and you know this as an alum, um, but, but the education. In this world of the NIL now, where it's becoming mercenary football, where boosters and alumni are, are trying to pull money together to get the best kids in the country to come to their respective school, how much more of a selling point is Boston College's education? Because I was talking to one of the members of the staff there before practice on Friday, and he made a great point. He said, look, you know, if a kid's getting offered $50,000 to go to 
school A, well, that's going to be taxed. And by the time it's taxed and divvied up, it, it's not enough to, to, to get you to go to school A. But if you come to school B, i.e. Boston College, you're going to make a lot more than 50000 long term. How much of a selling point do you think that is for this program? And can they hang their hat on that in this world of, of NIL deals? They'll certainly try. I, I think it'll take them pretty far. I think with, with guys like Zay, who have a good head on their shoulders and want to commit to a program like this and have already seen what it can be, I mean, he's already been in this program. He's been at this school. He knows what it has to offer. I think it's a little bit different than recruits that are throwing a bunch of offers and they have the money signs and for NIL deals and collectives. And I think it's a little bit different. Um, I think that that's always a pro for BC before NIL. You know, it's selling the complete experience of a Jesuit education, of the spiritual side of it, of the education side of it as the holistic whole thing, becoming a better person. I think they've always used that. And I think that's a strong point for them. Um, I just think it's tough. I mean, we really just don't know long-term how NAL is going to shake out uh, with some of these collective deals. I mean, Zay was dealing with, I think there were six figure deals, um, two of them. And, you know, I think it's admirable that he decided to stay at BC. I think, you know, other people would have jumped at the money and, and that's not to say they're wrong. I mean, that is life-changing money, whether it's tax or not for someone coming from a family of 14 kids, I mean, that definitely would make a difference. So I think um, I think BC will definitely try to hang its head on that. And I think, you know, Coach Halfley at the ACC Media Day said, like, to this point, they haven't been too affected by NIL, but who's to say that they won't be next year or the next year after that? Um, I think it's more of just a day-by-day, year-by-year kind of thing that we'll have to monitor. I honestly think that decision could be a – program altering decision just in terms of recruiting you know not only can say i think it was 600 grand uh, was the number if you're a high school kid and you hear you know someone turn that down and then zay goes out and let's say he has the year we all think he's going to have and he's a first round second round even third round draft pick well now if you're halfway you can point to zay flowers in every single recruiting meeting in every single home that you have and say, look, this kid who could have changed his family's life decided to stay. So I, I don't think you can overstate just how important that decision was, not only for this year, but the future of the program. It's a culture decision, right? I mean, it speaks yeah. to the culture at Boston College. 100%. Adam? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know, almost had another uh, mishap. But uh, no, I think, yeah, Zay um, coming back is, is huge, just like Kevin said. And it's, you know, he, he, I mean, you look at this wide receiver room right now. I mean, you got some depth to it. You've got some talent. Yeah. And you don't usually think BC and think wide receivers. You usually don't do it. There's, they usually have good players, okay players, but not star power guys like they're going to have. Um, and so I think him coming back is huge for that. I think it's a good leadership move, you know what I mean? And uh, it says a lot, like you said, about the culture of the program right now. It's a positive thing because if it weren't that way, he would have gotten out of here in a second, man. I mean, oh, yeah. it would have been an easy decision. Look at Addison at Pitt. He bolted. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, absolutely. So, yeah, it's, it's it's good for BC and it's good for Zay. So, real yeah. quick, 
Go ahead, Kevin. I was going to say, who do we think that those offers came from? Do we think they were ACC schools? Because I do. I I don't. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they were SEC schools. Okay. Maybe something like Florida or something like that. Could have been. Yeah, possibly. Maybe even a Georgia. He's a Georgia kid. So, yeah. you know, sure. who knows? I mean, again, you know, Georgia has plenty of talent back, but he, Flowers is a, a dynamic playmaker who athletically can probably play in the SEC. Uh, that's not a stretch. He could definitely play in the SEC, in my opinion. So, yeah, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised if they were SEC schools. But, again, you never know. They could have been ACC schools. Yeah. Either way, I think the decision he made, to your point, Kevin, has long-term ramifications for this program because it speaks to the, uh, the, the culture that Halfley has established. Now, I do want to real quick get back to Halfley. Andy, I want to get your thoughts on this. Were you surprised at all on Friday when he – admitted that, hey, I'm here for the long haul. I'm not just sticking around for another year or two and looking to bounce. I want to build something here. Did that surprise you? No. I mean, he's been saying that for a while now, and I believe him. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of coaches, especially young coaches, will say that, but he's backed it up. Um, he's had and opportunities that's why I to brought leave. it up, right? Because while I know he has said it, the fact that he publicly came out and, and said it in that forum, which he said it publicly before, but saying it as emphatically as he did, I thought it was a little surprising, especially in this world of coaching movement. I think he wants to see this through at Boston College. Again, like I said earlier, his players that he's been recruiting, we're just going to start really seeing their impact this year. I think he wants to see like a, at least four years of, what he can do with this program and honestly that helps him too you know like what what does it really want you, you want to make a move from bc to, to washington who's taken a huge step back you know it was one of the schools that was rumored this off season if he really proves that he can build this boston college program to being an acc title contender he'll be i don't know he'll have all the options he wants he could either stay at bc and keep building that he can make the jump to back to the Big Ten, he could go to the SEC, he'll probably have his pick, he could even probably return to the NFL if he wanted to, even though he says he doesn't want to do that. Um, I think the longer he stays at BC and as long as he starts winning, he'll have as many options as he wants. I believe him when he says that he's here to build it, um, but I also think he's a star in this industry, um, similar to when Martin Jarman was here. I'm not saying he's gonna leap after year three like Martin Jarman did. I just think those are two guys who it, you can have two things true. You can be very committed to where you are right now, but you can also make the best choice for you eventually when it comes around. I'm not saying that's going to happen after this season, but I think eventually it wouldn't surprise me if he left somewhere. I just think that right now he's 100% committed here. Yeah, I agree. And I think the recruiting piece is a big part of it. Go ahead, Adam. Uh, yeah, I it's um it's kind of funny. Like I always feel like whenever a coach says he's committed to staying somewhere, It'll be maybe a year and he's gone somewhere else yeah. just because that's how it's always been. But I do think uh, to Andy's point, it serves him well to sort of see this through to a point where, you know, the, the team as a program takes another step forward and they haven't done that yet. I mean, I understand, like, I mean, he hasn't had um, much of a chance to really establish things because he had the COVID year and everything like that. And that, I think, is a legit gripe you can have of, of okay, it's it's not going to look the way I want it to yet because 
I, you know, if things were different. But I just feel like I sort of believe him whenever he sees – he has this way of talking where it's very believable what he's saying. Like, I don't feel like he's selling me a bill of goods whenever he's talking. I think I, I, there is a genuineness to him. It's, I think, part of the reason why he's a good recruiter. Um, but like Andy said, if he gets to nine, ten wins, then we start saying, okay. Yeah, then you have to start team. thinking he could possibly leave because yeah. – then whether he likes it or not, his name's going to be linked to jobs. Yeah, um, and so, um, like, do you well? Do you remember a couple years ago? I think it was 2019 when Syracuse won 10 games, and Dino Babers was kind of a hot name for a second. And then the last couple the last couple of years, Syracuse has really fallen off a little bit. And so, Halfley doesn't want that. He doesn't want to hit his high selling point, and then you know go back down to, you know, six and five wins or something like that. He doesn't want that. But um, but but to Andy's point, it, it's it's going to be interesting to see how it goes. But I do I, – there's part of me that wants to believe him any time he says something like that. Let's shift gears here now and talk about the defense. Obviously, we know how good the back seven is, right? But not so much the linebackers, but we know how good the secondary is. They have a lot of talent back there, a lot of experience. I mean, you have – upwards of six defensive backs that can play and all legitimately make an impact this season. And we know who they are, but one of the things that this program has not done well in recent years, even when Adazio was here is they didn't really, they haven't rushed the passer. They haven't had that, that premier type pass rusher, especially coming off the edge in a long time around here. And I think it's something that is a point of emphasis. I know Halfley talked about it last year, but Andy, I'm going to start with you. How important is it? We know the secondary is going to hold up, but no matter how good a secondary is, if you're not getting consistent pressure on the quarterback, even the best secondaries ultimately end up on plastering and guys get open. But how important is it for them to make this pass rush work? Because they can't just generate it on, on, on their own. In other words, they're not getting a base pass rush. They're going to need to bring more pressure. What are they going to be able to do to help this secondary? Because as good as the secondary is, like I said, if guys start uncovering, this defense could have some problems. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, they need to be better at rushing the passer. Each of the last three seasons, they have been 10th or worse in the ACC in sacks per game. Um, I'm thinking back to, like, Harold Landry. That was 2015, I think, when he had 16 and a half sacks. Uh, but since then, they haven't had a guy. I mean, Zach Allen was pretty good off the edge. Wyatt Ray was pretty good. But since... Um, they've had decent players, but the production just hasn't been there. Marcus Valdez, uh, I think, led the team last year in sacks, but that was about five sacks. Um, and he missed a couple games, too. So I think what will be interesting to see is where the young guys come in. Like, I I wouldn't be totally surprised to see some of these true freshmen or redshirt freshmen or sophomores playing more than, you know, like even like a Marcus Valdez or like a Chibuzi on Wuka. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if we see – a ton of Donovan Ezraku, um, you know, like Clive Wilson's a guy they've raved about. He's a true freshman. Um, you know, Tyus Clemens was getting in last year, Nato Akpala. Like these are guys that we saw as true freshmen or they're coming in right now. They have a lot of buzz around them. And again, these are like half these guys. It wouldn't surprise me if we see these guys on the defensive line at least getting real snaps from the start of the season. I think you're going to see some speed that we haven't seen in a while off the edge, and that's going to serve them well because they need it. 
Um, and that's not to say that Valdez and the guys that have been there for a long time can't contribute. I just think it'll be more of a rotation. They have more depth at that position on the defensive line than they've had in years. And Halfley said that first practice we were at. Yeah, Andy, I'm glad you brought up um, Jabuzi. I think I messed up his name. Um, but him and um, along with Marcus, she just a lot as well. Um, he could be a huge factor for them. There's one guy on defense who, to me, is a Swiss Army knife, and he kind of prides himself on it. It's Cam Arnold. Um, I- I'd love to see him kind of get in on, the, on some pass rushing. Not only uh, and obviously he's a cover guy as well, but he can do a little bit of everything. And I think they need that speed um, along with those guys up front. So I'd love to see him really kind of take on that role a little bit as well. Yeah, it seems like uh, to Andy's point about some of the sophomores that are coming on, I think you're starting to see all over the roster evidence of Halfley's recruiting starting to come in a little bit. Like you're seeing in the wide receiver core, offensive line, and then defensive line, edge guys who are, you know, Halfley recruits. And so it's – you know, you, you wonder a little bit, is, is this more of Halfley's team because it's got more of his recruits on it? I'm sure he, he wouldn't say that. But it just sort of seems that way a little bit on defense. But it, you're starting to see, like, I mean, especially in the secondary, like C.J. Burton and guys like that, these guys were highly recruited guys who are starting to sort of see the field now for BC, and you're starting to see more of Halfley's guys out there. Yeah, I agree, and I think so much of it is – this is, this is another reason why it's a big year, because so much of it is about him getting his guys and the guys that this staff has recruit, recruited in the fold. And I agree with Andy. I think they're going to play a lot of young guys. I mean, they were raving on Friday about Joe Griffin out of Springfield Central. I mean, that's a, that's a guy who could become a factor in this offense. And we know that at that position, guys are playing at a younger age now because if they can come out, there's no age on ability. If they can come out and make a difference, put them on the field. They don't have to necessarily play 40, 50 snaps a game, but a, but a kid like Joe Griffin can play 10 to 20 snaps a game and be really productive. So I think that they're going to they're gonna play a lot of these younger guys. I think they want to see what they have. And and even though they still have some of those Adazio leftovers, and you talked about this earlier, Andy, with, with De Palma and Valdez, I think that they're going to use the beginning of the season in particular as an opportunity to see what some of these young guys can do, an Owen McGowan at linebacker or – um, you know, maybe a C.J. Burton playing a more prominent role. He played a bunch of snaps last year for them. So I, I think to me, you're going to start to see more of his guys filtered into the lineup. And and then we'll see, right? That'll be the, the, the true test because he's recruited well. Guys like Burton and Kendall were four-star recruits. That's where you hope this season is a little different. With that said, I want to use that point to piggyback to my next question, which is, the ACC. Is the ACC there for them to compete? Clemson is not the Clemson they were two years ago. They're not the wagon that we've gotten accustomed to. So can they compete and win their side and possibly get to an ACC title game? Is this a year where they have enough, especially when it comes to skill, where they have enough that they can win their side and and, and possibly get to Charlotte? Andy? I mean, at this point of the year last year, did anyone think Wake Forest was going to get to the AC championship? No, probably no. not. Unless, unless no. you're a Wake Forest fan or maybe you cover the team and you think they're the dark horse. But 
I think the point is that look like we can project all we want. Uh, I think it would be wrong to say BC doesn't have a chance um, because, you know, who's to say they aren't the wake of this year. People thought they could have been wake last year. Um, you know, I think that there's always a chance when you've got a quarterback like Phil Dracovic, who's an NFL prospect, when you got a wide receiver like Zay Flowers, who's supposed to be the, the program's first wide receiver drafted since 1987. I mean, when you got two guys like that, that can take you a long way on offense. And then defensively, they've just been getting better and better. And I think that's the most underrated part of this team is like the offense doesn't even have to be amazing. They just need to be productive. They need to be better than what was it? 16 points per game against ACC opponents last year. Like they can be so much better than that. And if the defense carries its weight like it did last year, now you're talking about a team that can actually compete. Of course, will they stay healthy? Like, are they going to, you know, win the games against Louisville and Florida State that they need to win in that scenario? Are they going to finally beat Clemson? These are things that we don't know. I think they can do all of those things. I mean, the ACC had five teams in the coaches poll today. Um, people were shocked about that. I don't think that's wrong. You know, I think a lot of people are just down on the ACC in general. It was that narrative last year. And um, I, I think it's tough. I think where the money's going is the Big Ten and the SEC, but it doesn't mean there's not good football here. I mean, if you look at the conferences, the quarterbacks are insane in the ACC. Every quarterback can make a case for basically having a Dracovic. Like every team has like, you know, whether it's Devin Leary at NC State, whether it's, you know, Sam Hartman at Wake Forest, like there's tons of talent in the division and in the conference. Uh, I think BC's right up there with them. I think it would be wrong to say they don't have a chance. Yeah, I think, um, well, I thought, I've said this before, but I, I feel like having an ACC title game between Pitt and Wake Forest gave all the middle teams a lot of hope. Like, you know, I mean, BC beat Pittsburgh just a couple years ago. You know, they can if, – if Pitt can get there, they can get there. It's, it's, it's sort of like a why not us scenario where it's like, hey, man, if Wake, if, if Wake Forest is going to be that team, then we, will, we can be too. And I feel that you look at BC's roster, the only – question i have is really the offensive line because they have graduated so many good players there but if you're going to talk about boston college and have them reload at a certain position the number one position you would pick is offensive line so i you know i think they've recruited well there i think you know i don't think necessarily the offensive line is going to be great right out of the gate but maybe by the end of the season it could be a very good unit a lot of those guys don't have experience yet but it you know they can gain it and so, so, but they got not just Zay, but a, a very talented wide receiver group in general, a, a, an experienced quarterback who's a good player and an NFL prospect, and a good defense. And they've got, and he's recruited well. So maybe more guys are stepping into those roles too. So I think BC has a shot to win their side of it. And it wouldn't shock me. Um, you know, they just have to do what they haven't done recently, which is win all those coin flip games against teams that are about as good as they are. Yeah, and I think the other thing, too, to their credit, they're talking about winning the division. You know, you, you don't get the the cliche, well, it's one day at a time, but then on the other side, you'll also get what well, we expect to win. So I think that's part of just, you know, we go back to that edge conversation. They're not hiding their goals, and um, I think it's important, especially for a program that hasn't had that type of success, to talk about it openly, 
I think it's important for them. So to their credit, they're not shying away from these expectations. And I think they honestly think that they can win as well. You are watching slash listening to the New England Football Show presented by Mortgage Right. I'm your host, John Serenitas. As always, I'm joined by Kevin Stone and Adam Kirchin. Tonight, we are joined by Andy Backstrom from Rivals. He covers Boston College. Just wanted to remind you real quick that if you're into selling into the, if you are in, if you are looking into, I should say, selling your current home or you're a first time home buyer and you want to get pre approved for a mortgage, give Herb Divine a call. 781-254-2846. You can also email him at situate.mortgageright.com. Herb and his team are available anytime, including nights and weekends. So we opened the show. Well, we opened the show with some technical difficulties, but we navigated through that. Unfortunately, uh, John Mita Perel wants to post to join us, but some of those um, negative, some of those uh, technical issues didn't allow John to join us. We'll have him on in a future episode. Um but we opened the show talking about this being a must a must win season from the standpoint they got to do better than six and six, seven and five. So I'm going to ask you guys to look into your crystal balls here. What would be the ideal record for this program? Knowing where this program is right now, what would be an ideal record for this team? Knowing the talent and what they have coming back, Andy. I would say. Eight and four, realistically, would be a very successful season. Um, I think fans are going on here nine and three or ten and two. Uh, I think that's possible if things go the right way. But I think even getting to eight wins and let's say you win at least one game against an AP-ranked opponent, I know that's not asking for a ton from some of these blue-blood programs, but BC has not beaten an AP-ranked opponent since 2014. That was USC. That's a 20-some game losing streak against AP-ranked opponents. Um, they haven't had an eight-win season, as Adam said. We all know it, 2009. Just getting those two things off your back are huge. I mean, I know it's not the craziest thing to say for most programs, but having those two things just off your chest, I think, would be significant. And in that world, you know, in a tough schedule, maybe the ACC, you know, proves it this year. Um, I think that would still be considered a success with eight wins and, you know, maybe in that scenario, Dracovic plays well enough to be a first or second round pick and same as Zay. And I think you're looking at that as two good recruiting pieces. Um, you get the monkey off your back. It's a step up for Halfley. You're trending in the right direction. I think as long as you're getting to eight wins, this season should be seen as a success. I agree. I totally agree. I think eight and four realistically would be awesome for this program. Again, you'd start to take steps that haven't been taken in a while. Like that, again, like 2009 is a long time ago. <laughs> you know, it's, that's, that's not, that's not a, a hop, skip, and a jump from here. So um, I think, you know, what with what you have, you have to capitalize on it. You have the starting quarterback who's started multiple years. You've got the, the star receiver and another couple of good receivers that are you know, good players, uh, you know, you got a good running back, you know, you got the, the solid defense. You really have all these pieces there. Of course, like I said, you want to figure out what some things on the offensive line, but if they go eight and four and beat, say they beat Wake Forest and NC state, then man, that's a, that's a really good season. Um, so I think 
I think they're sick of hearing about the eight win thing. And if they could finally not have to answer that question for a while, they would really enjoy it. Um, but I do believe, but Hey, saying that if Jakovic stays healthy, if the offensive line, uh, plays well and the young players step up nine and three, isn't out of the question either. I mean, that this is a talented team. And I feel like one of the reasons why people don't expect them to do great is because they haven't done that in so long. So it's, it's easy to sort of predict a six and six season, but, um, but I mean, they have enough pieces in place to, to make a real run here at this. Yeah. Andy, you hit the number right in the head. I think it's eight. Um, when John first asked the question, I immediately went to like 10 wins in my head, but look, given the talent, the expectation shouldn't be any less than eight to start off. But the only question I would have is would a seven in, you know, a seven win or six win season be acceptable if they either won at Notre Dame or be Clemson at home? And I think this fan base would kind of be okay with it. Not that that's, you know, okay with, with expectations where they are, but I think if you get either of those two wins and you still finish, you know, with a mediocre record, I think it, it kind of, I don't know, kind of pushes people back a little bit from storming the gates. Um, but I do think the, the overall expectation should start at eight wins. Yeah. I mean, I think to me, yes, eight wins is, is a realistic number. When you look at the ACC landscape, there, there isn't that dominant program right now. You've got Clemson that, that has taken a step back. They're not that far back that they, that they can't contend necessarily. You talked about Notre Dame, Kevin, you know, Marcus Freeman's going into his first season. They open at Ohio state. They have a tough schedule. Everybody loves them and what they have back, but you're still going to have a first year coach, which, as we know, can be problematic. Um, but I, I, where I disagree with you is if the BC fan base accepts six and six, seven and five with, with the caveat that they beat Clemson and Notre Dame, well, then I, I don't know what to say to this fan base. You, you got to be better. You got to want better. And, and, and I think to me, this program needs to be better than six and five, seven, six and six, seven and five. Those days have to be over. Because if they're not, then you're a hamster in a wheel here. You're spinning your wheels. You're, you're not going anywhere. And it doesn't matter what you bring in in terms of talent and what you do in terms of your staff. If you can't get past that threshold of six and six, seven and five, then that's what you are. And I, and I think, honestly, in order for the interest in this program to pick up again around here, they need to go eight and four, nine and three. Because – People have become numb to this program because they're just so used to mediocrity. They're just so used to 500 football that they they that's what they've come to expect out of BC football now in this market. And it's eh, whatever. Oh, great! They're all oh, they're playing games at Chestnut Hill. That's awesome. Good for them. What are they? Are they good this year? What are they going to be? Six and six again? Seven and five? Maybe they need to win eight games. If they don't, in my opinion, it's a disappointing season. You didn't bring in Jeff Halfley. To go six and six, seven and five. That's why you got rid of the other guy. So you got to be better than that. And anything less than eight and four, I think, would be extremely disappointing. And I'll take it a step further. Even if they beat a Clemson or a Notre Dame, in my opinion, it should be disappointing to the BC fan base. They need to be better. I, I don't know. Am I am I being too 
too harsh here, Andy? I mean, would you agree? Don't they don't they need to take that next step if they want to be relevant in their own market and win more than seven games? I agree, and I actually go one step further. I think they need consecutive eight win seasons. I think you need to not have this as a one off. You know, I think the one off should be six and six. You know, you're going to have years you need to rebuild, and um, you know maybe you have a five win season every year, like here and there, but. You want consistency. That's how you build a fan base. Uh, people want to be dependent on you being exciting and being a contender. Um, for BC, they're not always going to win 10 games, nine games, but there was a streak of years in the 2000s and you know the 80s where they were consistently winning in eight, nine, 10 games. It's possible um, in this region. Uh, it's just becoming harder and harder. I will say I, I get Kevin's point um, because BC fans are starved for the, the big win. I think the only thing with that point, though, is that um, if they go six and six, but they beat Notre Dame, people are going to be, well, what happened? Like, what if, you know, like, why didn't we do this in other games? If we could play this well against Notre Dame, which, you know, let's say they're still a top five team, then why didn't we beat Louisville at home? You know, like, I think people would just be frustrated at the fact that there was that kind of performance against one of those powers. Uh, but not consistency across the season. No, I hear you. And for me, I think it's it's but it's just more about, I guess, not expecting much from the fan base, you know. And that goes to the team not winning. But um, I, I I know what you're saying though. Yeah, I do. I agree with John and and Andy that um, and every, everybody really that like if they, if they had all this coming back and they go six and six again. It's just so hard to convince the fan base that you're going to take the next step when there's so many opportunities to, and you don't. You know, it's just like, oh, all right, well, it's like, all right, well, you follow recruiting and you see if these next players are better. It's just, you know, it's it's a cycle, and BC and Halfley need to snap it. They just need to, they just need to start anew, start fresh, and have. Sort of high expe- higher expectations for the program because the funny thing is, is that when when it's like this, it's sort of a strange place to be because they're winning just enough not to be bad. You know, they're, they're, it's not like they're going three and nine every year. They're going six and six, seven and five. You know, they're having decent years. They're just not good. You know, there's just, there's just not that extra step being taken. And when you have this many people back. And this, and again, there's such a, a good positive energy around Halfley. I love it. And but it's got to come through at the bottom line, and that's wins and wins and losses. And um, like you said, John, they got rid of the last guy for going in seven and six. This has really got to take that next step. Yeah, and I think the relevancy of the program is on the line here. I mean, let, let, let's be honest here. And, and, and we're not trying to alienate the, the faithful here. BC is a humongous part of what we do in terms of our coverage. But they got to be better. If they want to be more relevant, they've got to be better. And it's not about competing against the Patriots for, for, for a, a share of, of this market. That's not the point here. But BC football, when I was a kid, was a big deal. Okay? It was a big deal. When they went out to Notre Dame and they beat Notre Dame my senior year in high school, that, that was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. That was a big deal. Those Coughlin Foley teams around here were a big deal. And as I mentioned earlier, yes, it helped that the Patriots sucked, but whether the Patriots are good or not is irrelevant. Look, 
I, I, and I guess I want to use this as, as the impetus to bring up my final point here as we wrap up the show, but look at UMass and UConn right now. There's a lot of buzz around those programs. And I know people around Boston College will tell you, well, we don't care about them and what they're doing and whatnot. But Don Brown coming back to UMass has really brought a lot of buzz around that program. That fan base is reinvigorated. They're fired up. They can't wait for the season to start. Same goes with UConn. You know, people always like to poo-poo the UConn football program. But let me tell you something. Jim Mora has that program going in the right direction. They haven't won a, He hasn't won a game there yet, but you can just tell – it's a totally different vibe than when Randy Edsel was there. And Edsel had some success his first go around. So I, I, I think Jeff Halfley's the right guy for this job. I, I, I think Coach Halfley's a tremendous person and coach. I love his enthusiasm. I love the way he deals with people. I, I love to watch him coach. I think he's the real deal. And I think he is the guy that can get this program to the next level. But it's got to happen, though. We can't keep talking about them getting there because – Hey, listen, the neighborhood's getting a little crowded here now. UMass and UConn, you're not only now are competing for them in terms of recruiting, but you're competing for them for, for attention in this market as well. And again, I know BC people will, will, will laugh at that notion, but it's true. Andy? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree that there's an urgency there. I think there's always been an urgency. And as you said, it's just a matter of will it happen or not. I think the other thing we haven't talked about too is realignment. And I think a lot more goes into it than just if you perform well. I mean, part of it's where you're located, part of it's the TV, well, a massive part of it's the TV deals and the ACC is not set up in a good place with ESPN and the current deal they have. Um, but I think that part of the optics of it is, are you a team that deserves to be in the conversation for the top 50 teams? I mean, if we're, we're taking the conference out of the way and we're just looking at which teams should be contending for a national championship, you say 50 teams, does BC fit in there? I think it does, but has the last 15 years proved that? No, I don't think so. So how can you prove optic-wise that you do belong in that group and whether or not that moves the needle or not. I mean, it, it probably does not matter as much as being in the Northeast and what does that offer to a big 10 or, you know, an SEC or whatever third conference is, is, you know, the, the next in line um, or, you know, what does your TV contract look like? But I think it does matter. When's the last time you've had an eight win season? When's the last time you've had a 10 win season? What kind of players are you producing? So I think there should be an added, urgency given what's happening in college football whether it's nil realignment i mean there's no more important time to win than now yeah and they produce players there's no question about that from an nfl standpoint they've produced players kevin go ahead uh say what you need to say because i wanted to follow up something andy brought up about realignment no i was just gonna say the other you know we've been hard on the fan base we need to remember that this team has been bowl eligible the last two years and hasn't been able to play a bowl game. Yeah. So you don't get that that good feeling at the end of the year. And I think that's been a big part of it um, as well in terms of attention and people, you know, really grasping onto this team. But, um, no, I, I completely agree with you, Andy. It's, um, there is really no better better time than now. Jeez, I should have just asked the realignment question. I'm <laughs> kidding. Anyway, <laughs> but, but Andy, real quick, I know we got to go here, but – where, if, if you had to forecast, let's say three years down the road, three to five, we'll say, where's Boston College playing? Because the landscape is going to be 
vastly different in the next three years. Where does Boston College fit into that landscape in terms of a conference? I think they're still going to be in the ACC. Um, I think that the ACC is going to find a way to still exist. I think that current TV deal is ridiculous. It's just going to look worse and worse as the years go on and the Big Ten renegotiates and some of these deals I mean, are so lucrative. Uh, but I think they'll they'll come a time where I mean ESPN will probably negotiate it with the ACC. Uh, I think that the Big 12 and the and the Pac-12 are kind of on the downturn. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if the ACC sticks around as number three. Now I'm not saying they're going to be at the level of the Big Ten or the level of the SEC, but I think we're going to have those three conferences uh, still sticking around. I don't really see BC. I mean, I, the Big Ten makes the most sense to me of any of the conferences to move to. Um, but, you know, does the Big Ten want BC? You know, like at that point, you've got schools, you've got Rutgers, you've got Penn State, you've got the markets, the areas where, I mean, Boston, I think uh, David Hale put out a, a piece from ESPN about Boston was 54th of 56 in market share for ESPN network games and college football last year. Um, to me, you know, like how much does that demand from Boston? I think I think BC's best bet, and I don't think it's far off, is just staying in the ACC. I mean, I think that they've just got to be able to make that work. Um, and, I, and I'm not too scared of that situation. I think it, it will work out for them. I think right now people are pressing the panic button, but I mean, things have a way of working out. That that you know that's very telling there when you when you talked about Hale's piece and where the Boston market is when it comes to college football in general. I think that that number is indicative of what people think of the sport up here at that level, and it's why uh, the four of us do what we do because somebody's got to do it, and and the game's too great at that level to not promote and not to follow and not to watch. And by by God, we're gonna make you like it whether you want to or not. Um, Andy, I want to say thank you for taking the time. I know we had some technical difficulties in the beginning, uh, and I know we unfortunately couldn't have John on with us tonight, but we'll get John back on again down the road. Kevin and Adam, I want to say thank you to you guys as well, and uh, thanks to all three of you for your patience. I had the football day from hell today, starting at URI, then Patriots, then Stonehill. I call it that. I actually enjoyed every minute of it, but I'm a junkie, but, uh, it was a busy day, and that's why the show got pushed back. But, gentlemen, I want to say thank you for taking the time tonight. Thank you, Andy. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. for having me on, guys. That'll do it for this week's show. For Kevin Stone, Adam Kirchin, and our guest, Andy Backstrom, I'm John Serenitas. Till next week, peace. See you.